Go to Revelation chapter 22, go to the end of the Bible, take a left, and we're there. And we're going to be looking today at uh, some more great scripture on heaven. And then we're going to also, the name of my uh, message this morning is, Lord, come quickly. And we're going to see in this last chapter, we're going to see Jesus himself saying three times that he's going to come quickly. Let me, let me give you some of the verses, that, what he says here. He says, first of all, verse 7 of chapter 22, he says, Behold, Jesus speaking, I'm coming, what? Quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Then about the middle of the chapter, he says in verse 12, Behold, I'm coming, what? Quickly, again, and my reward is with me to render every man according to what he has done. Then the end of the chapter, verse 20, says, he says, He who testifies to these says, things says, Yes, I am coming. There it is. I'm coming quickly. Amen. And then we say, Come, Lord Jesus. And so we're going to see an immediacy today of the soon return of Jesus Christ to this world. We're going to see that this is this soon and very soon, we're going to see our King. And it's some wonderful scripture. I don't know about you, but that, that, that uh, first chapter when we started, it promised something to, to me and to you. It said that chapter 1, verse 3 of Revelation says, Blessed are those that hear and read and heed the words of this book. And you know what? The last 22 weeks, we've been reading and we've been hearing, and I'm hoping that we've been heeding the words of this book. And I don't know about you, I've been blessed. I've seen a blessing on this church, too, as we study this book, because that's what the Bible promises. And all the promises of God are yes and amen. If the Bible promises something, it's a yes and amen. And we've been blessed as a church. We go, I'm going to miss it. I almost feel like doing a rewind back to chapter 1 and do it 22 more weeks in this book. But we don't do it that way. But I, I said, Heidi, I was, we were doing worship. I said, Heidi, I'm going to miss teaching through the book of Revelation. She goes, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll be back in it another four or five years as we go through the whole New Testament again. And I go, we're going to be raptured before then. Come on. So anyways, maybe not. But, but the title of my message this morning is, Lord, guess what? Come quickly. And what we're going to see in the beginning part of this chapter, Pastor Mike already kind of touched on it at the end of his message, but I'm going to go back to the beginning part of the chapter and look at heaven part two again, and then we're going to see the final admonitions of the book of Revelation. So it, Revelation 22, verse 1, if you're there, say amen. Oh, here we go. Okay. Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. It says, and he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming down from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Now, Chapter 21 was more of the, the physical uh, description of the new Jerusalem, which is uh, the new heaven. And it's, it's a physical description of a 1,500-mile cube that's going to have, we're all going to have our space in that cube for the rest of eternity. Now, there's going to be a new heaven, and there's going to be a new earth, too. And as Pastor Mike talked about last week, we're going to be able to transport ourselves from the new heaven to the new earth. But in the new heaven, it says there's going to be a throne. And we see that all throughout the book of Revelation, one of the first things that's always being said about heaven is there's a throne there. Why? Because God's on the throne. And that's what makes heaven heaven. He is in total uh, leadership of our heaven that we're going to. It's going to be awesome. He's on the throne. And it says, interesting there, it says the Father's on the throne and the Lamb is on the throne. And from that throne, there's a river, clear as crystal. And that river's flowing from the throne to us in heaven. Now, what is that river? Well, I take the uh, book of Revelation literally. It's probably a real river. 
In the uh, Garden of Eden, the original creation, uh, God had actually four rivers flowing into the Garden of Eden. This is going to have one river flowing, but I think there's more than just a, a river. I think it's, it says here the water of life. What's the water of life? Well, Jesus talked about it to a woman at the well in John chapter 4, verse 13. He said, Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water, notice, springing up to what? Eternal life. Jesus talked about this living water also in John 7, 37 and 39. It said this, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out and saying, If anyone is thirsty, what did he say? Let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, from his innermost being will flow, here it is, rivers of, here it is, water of life, living water. And what this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who had believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Water of life. What is that? I think it's actually the Holy Spirit flowing into our lives through this river of the Holy Spirit, water of life, flowing into our lives for the rest of eternity. And it's going to be awesome. You know why? Because we're, we're going to be in a, a sin-free state. 1 John 3, 2 says, when we see him as he is, we too will be like him. So we won't be grieving the Holy Spirit like we do in our sin today. We won't be quenching the Holy Spirit. There will be this free-flowing river of the water of life, of the power of the Holy Spirit, flowing into our lives for the rest of eternity in heaven. And what's that going to include? The fruits of the Spirit. There's going to be this power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, like a river flowing in our lives for the rest of eternity, and there's going to be fruits of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and just gushing into our lives for the rest of eternity. And it's awesome to think of the Holy Spirit like a river flowing for the rest of our lives into our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. And then it says in verse 2, in the middle of its streets, or in the middle of its street, on the, either side of the river, there's a tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit in every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the, notice, the healing of the nations. So a river of life, water of life flowing into our lives, and then a tree of life. Now, does that sound familiar? Genesis chapter 3 says in the original creation in the Garden of Eden, the tree of life was there, but there's also a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, no, no, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And guess what human beings do? What they do? Don't do it. Adam and Eve did it and disobeyed God. And then after they were busted, you remember what, what Adam said? Hey, he said, I ate of that tree because the woman, the woman who you, double whammy, the woman, it's her fault, the woman who you gave me got me to eat of that tree, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And then interesting, in Genesis, it says after they fell and after they sinned by disobeying God, Sin came cascading to the human race at that point. And then also, God banished them from the garden. And then he protected the tree of life with a cherubim and a flaming sword. Why? 
Because God didn't want Adam and Eve in their fallen state to keep eating of this tree of eternal life and live in a perpetual state of sin for the rest of eternity. Because Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of our sin is death, right? But now we see this tree of life transplanted to heaven. And when we get to heaven, we're going to be eating this tree of life because as we eat of the tree of life, it's, it's symbolic of the fact that we're going to have eternal life for the rest of eternity. Because Jesus said, I'm the resurrection of life. And he who believes in me, even though he dies, shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall what? Shall never die. And so we're going to be eating this tree of life, and that's a symbol of the eternity we're going to have for the rest with, with God in this resurrected state. But it's interesting also, this tree of life has fruit on it. Twelve kinds of fruits for twelve different months that all, as we eat of this tree of life, was also going to bring a healing to the nations. What does that mean? Well, the word uh, healing there is therapian in the Greek. We, we get therapy from it. But basically what it's saying is we're going to be in a place in eternity where we're going to be fully healed and also a place where there's going to be no more war, no more anger, no more bitterness, no more unforgiveness, no more nation after nation killing each other. And I don't know about you, but I hate war. It's been bred in me as, a, as, as, as someone to hate war because my great-grandpa um, on my mom's side was a preacher. He was actually a Dutch Reformed preacher. He used to preach his services in Dutch. And he was a man of God. I heard he could preach some fire too. I never got to meet him because I was born after he had died. But, but he, he, was a, he, was a, he was a Dutch Netherlands preacher that came over from Holland. And, and he had one son and then three daughters. And his one son went to World War II and was killed in combat on the front lines of combat in World War II. And it devastated him. I mean, so much so he had to take a year sabbatical because he was just wrecked by losing his son in war. And so as a preacher and as a man of God, he, he was a man of God and he believed in the word of God and he taught the word of God, but he was also a man that hated war because war took his son. And I remember hearing stories about that and thinking, man, it's going to be good to get in a place where there's going to be a healing of the nations. And you know what? It's interesting, too. The United Nations has this verse, I've told, inscribed above the door as you go into the United Nations. But I got news for the United Nations. The United Nations isn't going to bring a healing to the nations. Jesus Christ is. And when we get to heaven, war is over. And our, our swords are going to be turned into pruning hooks because all we'll have to do is no more war. We'll be building stuff, serving him, as we're going to see in a couple of verses. We might be in a garden kind of situation again, but no more war. And I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to the anger and the hate and the bitterness world being gone because there will be a healing, a healing of the nations. And then it says in verse 3, and there shall no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his bondservants shall what? What are we going to be doing? Are we going to be like little cupids in heaven with a harp and just kind of hanging out in the clouds? What are we going to be doing? We're serving him. We're serving him. And, there, and it's going to be interesting because I think we're going to be serving him with the gifts that we have today. The spiritual gifts you have today we'll have for the rest of eternity. If you have a gift of leadership, 
he'll probably have you in, in some leadership roles up there. If you have a gift of administration, you'll probably be administrating some things up there. If you have a gift of mercy, you'll be showing some mercy to somebody up there. If you have a gift of hospitality, you'll be saying, hey, I got this dwelling place over here. Come on, let's, 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 let's do some cooking and some eating over here. Hey, by the way, do you know we're going to be eating in heaven? Praise the Lord for that. Jesus ate fish in his resurrected body with the disciples. And if you have a gift of hospitality, you'll be coming. Come over to my dwelling place. We got the rest of eternity to hang out and eat, eat together. Come on. Let's have some fun together. Hey, we'll have all kinds of different gifts. I think that my teaching gift, I'll still be teaching some Bible studies up there. I'll be doing something. Hey, if you have the gift of evangelism, you're done. That's one gift that we won't be using up there because everybody will be saved. But all the other gifts, we'll be using. And it's going to be awesome. We'll be serving him. If you have a gift of craftsmanship, hey, your boss is a Jewish carpenter. And you'll be building some stuff up there with him. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome serving him for the rest of eternity. And also, it says here that he's going to reverse the curse. What does that mean? Well, when Adam and Eve fell, this world got cursed. Got cursed with the thorns and the thistles. And we have to work by the sweat of our brow and eke out a living. Yeah, we'll still work in heaven, but it ain't going to be like now. We're going to love what we do up there for work. Also, this earth was cursed with sin. And sin brought forth suffering, disease, pain, anxiety, stress, death. That's the curse. It's going to be gone. No more mourning. We saw the last chapter. No more mourning. No more pain, no more anxiety, no more stress. Hey, listen to this. No more sin. Wouldn't that going to be cool? No more of this struggle between the flesh and the spirit. Hey, also, no more death. It's another thing I hate. I don't only hate war. I hate death. I hate the fact that there's this hole in my life of people that I really love that ain't here anymore. That ain't going to happen in heaven anymore. There's no more death. And not only that, when we get to heaven, we're going to see those people that preceded us that were believers in Jesus Christ. And we're going to have a heavenly reunion and heavenly rendezvous because the curse is gone. Death is gone. And God's going to wipe away every tear. And we're going to be made new. Everything's going to be made new in heaven. It's a reverse of the curse. And I say, when I think of that, Lord, come quickly. Let's get her done. Looking forward to this. The reverse of the curse. And Mike talked about this last week, verse 4. When we get to heaven, we're going to see what? We're going to see what? We're going to see his face. And his name shall be on our foreheads. Now, 1 Corinthians 13 says that we see through a glass dimly right now. A mirror dimly. But then, when we get to heaven, we're going to see face to face. We just know it apart right now. But when we get to heaven... We're going to be no fully, just as we've been fully known. And the Bible again says, when we see Jesus, and when we get to heaven, we're going to see him face to face, and then we too, First John 3, 2, we too, we're going to be like him. Sin gone. You know, it's great having a relationship with Christ now. It's great to be able to hear his voice now, to read his word now, to have a spirit working in our lives now. But again, we grieve that a lot of times through our sin. We, we, we quench the work of the Holy Spirit sometimes because of our sin. When we get to heaven, that's gone. And, and that, that dimness sometimes and the distance we feel from Christ, gone for the rest of eternity. We're going to be right there seeing him face to face. 
It says in Psalm 17:15, "As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I wake." Oh, man, that's great. That's such a good verse. Let's read it. Let's do a responsive reading on that verse, okay? Can you read it along with me? Let's just read it together. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. I will be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. And the church says, amen, amen. A lot to look forward to there, uh, seeing Jesus face to face. Verse 5, and there shall no longer be any night, and they shall not have the need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them, and they shall reign forever and ever. Amen. So night's gone. No more nightlights. No more darkness. And it's going to be the glory of God lighting up heaven for the rest of eternity. And why is that? Because God is light. He dwells in inapproachable light. And not only is the Father light, the Son is light. It says in, in 1 Timothy 6, 15 to 16, which he will bring about at the proper time, he who is blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone possesses immortality and dwells in what? Inapproachable light, which no man has seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Jesus is light too because he said in John 8, 12, I am, I am, the what? The light of the world. And he who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have, here it is, the light of life. And then John 9, 5, he said, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Can you imagine that? Not only is the Holy Spirit going to be pouring into our lives through the river of the water of life, but the glory of God is going to be lighting up heaven for the rest of eternity. And it says it's going to illumine us. It's wonderful. What we have to look forward to, the glory illumining us for the rest of eternity. Verse 6, and he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. Now, John's seeing this. He's blown away by this vision. He's seeing the glories of heaven and the angel now is reiterating the fact, John, this isn't a fairy tale. This isn't a fable. This isn't some dream you're having because you ate too much pita bread with hummus on it. This is, this is true. The, the words here of heaven, of this place, is faithful and true. And that's what I love about our Christianity. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a legend. It's not something someone made up. It's true. This is what we have to look forward to. Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's true. Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there's many dwelling places, and I go to prepare a place for you there. It's true. It's faithful. It's true, these words about heaven. And then he says in verse 7, and behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the word of the prophecy of this book. Notice, the first chapter says you're blessed. As you heed the words of the prophecy of this book, the last chapter says you're blessed as you heed the words of this book. And I've seen it in our church. I've seen it in the last 22 weeks. Man, there's been a blessing on us as we've studied this book. 
I've seen it in the lives that have been changed. I've seen several people get saved as we've gone through the book of Revelation. And I've seen it in the zeal and the urgency of living for Christ. I think we've, we've, we've reached another level in the last 22 weeks of just having, we, we don't want to be a lukewarm church here. We want to be on fire for Christ because Jesus is coming soon. And, and there's a zeal here in the church that wasn't here before we studied, and that's blessing on us as a church. The worship, too. I don't know if you guys noticed. The last 22 weeks of worship, whoa. Russ been coming off lately. I love it. I love it. I like what Skip Heising said about this. He says this, Nothing wakes up the church more than the conviction that the return of Christ is near. Amen, church? And I think we got that going right now. We're waking up. Because we know soon and very soon, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming quickly. And that's what he says again in verse 7. And behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Then verse 8. And I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours, the angel's saying this to John, and of your brethren, the prophets, and those who heed the words of this book. And then the angel says to John, worship God. Now John, just two chapters ago, chapter 19, verse 10, you were told the same thing. You worship the angel, the angel reprimanded and said, stop worshiping me, worship God. And now two chapters later, you're worshiping the angel again. What's up with that? We've got to see the incredible vision he just got in the last two chapters. He's blown away by it to the point that he says, I'm hitting the deck and worshiping this angel that's bringing me this vision of heaven. And again, he's being redirected now. You don't worship the messenger, you worship the God who's sending the message. And that's an important lesson again for us too. When the Lord uses you to bring a message to somebody about God and they start putting you on a pedestal, say, be like John the Baptist. Say, hey, behold the Lamb of God. Don't behold me, behold the Lamb of God. He must increase, I must decrease. Never steal the glory from God. The Bible says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works. Yes, but what's the purpose of shining? That they may glorify our Father in heaven. Amen? Always point up. Always point up. And that's what this angel is doing now, to give the glory to God. Verse 10, and he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book. Here it is. For the time is what? Church. If the time was near 1,900 years ago, how much more near is the time today of the soon return of Christ? Everything is in place. Israel's a nation again. Uh, Jerusalem has is, is, is been re-designated re, uh, uh, to Israel. We're seeing people going to and fro like never before, as the book of Daniel says is going to happen at the end of the age. Daniel chapter 12, verse 4 says this, But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words. Seal of the book at the end of the time. Many will go back and forth, and knowledge will increase. Is that not happening right now today? Can you say SpaceX? Elon Musk's company that he wants to start transporting uh, people that just pay enough money to Mars and back? Just 150 years ago, people's main form of transportation was riding a horse. Now we're, we're providing rocket ships to Mars and back. Crazy. And how about knowledge increasing? Oh, my gosh. Can you say Google? Amazing how much more exponential knowledge we have. And it says at the end of the age... People will be going back and forth like never before, and knowledge will increase. And what's interesting, too, is Daniel in the Old Testament was told, okay, seal up the prophetic 
things that are being told you right now. Seal them up. Don't share them anyway until the end of the age. But we're told, John is told now here by the angel, no, 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 don't seal them up because it's the end of the age. Let everybody know about this now. And so we are at the end of the age. It's time to let people know about what's going on with the book of Revelation. Hey, everything you've learned in the book of Revelation the last 22, 22 weeks, don't keep that to yourself. Let the world know. And you say, well, the world's going to think I'm crazy if they start hearing me talk about Jesus coming again. No, they won't. Well, the world doesn't really want to hear that. Yeah, they might not, but some people do. You know what the, one of the greatest uh, series of books selling-wise has ever been? The religious or secular? One of the greatest selling books, that, a series of books that has ever been, was the 12-book series called Left Behind. They sold tens of millions of copies of those books. And it wasn't just unbelievers, or it wasn't just believers reading those books. A lot of people that were just curious read those books too, and people came to faith because that was put out there. It's wonderful. Don't, key, don't seal up the, the words of this book. Share it with as many people as possible. It's a part of our, our witness is what's going on in the future, what's going to happen. Don't seal up, verse 10, don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. Verse 11, let the one who does wrong still do wrong. Let the one who is filthy still be filthy. Let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. Let the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Interesting. You know what that's saying? Is people set a pattern for their life. And the pattern you go for oftentimes just keeps going in that direction. And if you set a pattern of being filthy, of being immoral, of being in darkness, you're setting a trajectory for your life. And that's why church, that's why it's so important what we do here at Calvary Chapel for our kids' ministry and for our youth ministry. Because I know, parents, the main form of discipleship is supposed to be in your home. I get that. We need, if we have kids, we need to be discipling them and setting the right pattern for the rest of their life. But listen, the church is in a partnership with you. And as you bring your kids to church, they're getting a, they're getting a direction set with the Word of God. So they won't live in filthiness. So they won't live in unholiness. So they won't live in immorality. And we teach them that through teaching them the Word of God in this place. Don't let anybody ever tell you that going to church is not important. It's important. It's not only important for you, it's important for the next generation. Because listen, I was reading a statistic this week that 90% of people that come to Christ and walk the rest of their lives uh, uh, with Christ do it before the age of 21. And so what we do over in these other buildings and children's ministry, what we do on Wednesday night in the cafe with the youth ministry, very important because we're setting a trajectory for the rest of their life. And if you're trained in the ways of the Lord, the Bible says when you're old, you will not depart from it. And what it's saying there is oftentimes when people set a pattern for their lives of filthiness, of darkness, of immorality, it ain't going to change. And it's going to keep people on a, a trajectory of one way or the other. And that's why we need to continually be raising up our next generation with the Word of God. Amen? The Word of God is going to set the pattern for their lives. And then it says in verse 12, Behold, Jesus says, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he's done. Now again, are we saved according to what we've done? No, no, no. We're saved according to what Jesus has done on the cross. Our, our payment for our sin is based on the cross when he said, paid in what? Full. It is finished. But we're rewarded for what we do here on earth. 
1 Corinthians chapter 3, very clear on this. It says we're going to face this bema seat of God. And there's going to be a revealing fire that's going to burn away all the wood, hay, and stubble. And then only the precious stones of the eternal things we've done for God are going to remain. And when that is, remains, then we're going to be rewarded accordingly for the rest of eternity for what we do here for God here on earth. Now, we're not saved by that, but we are rewarded. And that's why the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toll in the Lord is not in vain. Remember, heaven's watching. And as you serve Christ, you're not only going to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, but there will be rewards for the rest of eternity for what you do here for Christ here on earth. Hmm. Let's go on now. Look back at verse 13. What's Jesus say? Some statements here of his deity. I am. Jesus says, I am. What is I am? It's the name of God. Jesus says, I am. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Alpha is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Omega is the last. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. Jesus was fully man, yes. He was born in Bethlehem. He took on human likeness, took the very nature of a servant, but he was also fully God. And the word became flesh. And he dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory of the only begotten from the Father. Full of grace and truth. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with us. And the Word was God. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, and the first and the last. In church, that's why he's worthy of our worship. He must increase. We must decrease. Amen? I love Jesus. Verse 14, blessed are those who wash their robes that they might have the, tree, the right to the tree of life and they may enter by the gates into the city. Now question, how, how, how do you wash your robes? How do you get rid of the filthy rags of our, our sin? What do we do to get right with a holy God? Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our, our what? Our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible makes it very clear. Your sin is a scarlet. My sin is a scarlet. But the moment I trusted Christ to be my Savior and my Lord, I'm white as snow. Wonderful. I'm washed. I'm clean. The moment I trusted Christ 42 years ago and I bent my knee I received him to be my Savior and my Lord. I gave my life to him. He took away the guilt of my sin, nailed it to a cross, and clothed me with garments of righteousness. Isaiah 61.10. It's wonderful. Best deal I ever got. This Dutch guy likes good deals. Best deal I ever got is when Jesus said, you're mine. You're forgiven. I'm your Savior now, John. And you're washed. And you know what? The devil comes in and he accuses me 
and he's the accuser of the brethren of every single one of us. And I go back to that day in February 1978 when Jesus invaded my life and rescued me from my sin. And I overcome the accuser of the brethren by the blood of the lamb and the word of my testimony that he saved me. And you know what? Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amazing grace. <laughs> Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a bunch of wretches like us. <laughs> we once were lost, but now we're found. We were blind, but now we see. Because we've been washed. And when Jesus said, paid in full, it's paid in full. When the Apostle John said in 1 John 1, 7, he said, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin. It's all taken care of, brethren. Don't let that devil come in and accuse you and condemn you and just guilt, guilt, guilt. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. You've been washed. Our worlds have been washed. But notice verse 15. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who practices and loves lying. Now, it's very clear. We're saved by washing our robes through the cross. Jesus is taking care of our sin. But if you continue to live in sin, you continue to be immoral, you continue to be filthy, you continue to lie, you continue to live in immorality, don't presume on the grace of God and say, oh, I pray this sinner's prayer so I can just live any way I want. No, no, no. When you trust Christ to be your Savior, he becomes your Lord too, and you give your life to him, and you say with Apostle Paul, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And don't don't believe the lie that you can live any way you want and just presume on the grace of God. No, no, no. If you're in a, a lifestyle of sin, you better repent because the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, the Bible says, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor feminine, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. There needs to be a repentance. Well, I pray the sinner's prayer. Yeah, did you really? Did your life change? The Bible says if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. What? The new has come. And if you trusted Christ, that grace of God has touched your life and you've been saved by it, then you're going to want to live for Christ, not the world anymore. Because you're a new creation in Christ. And if you aren't living for Christ, you haven't really trusted Christ. That's what the Bible says. Because if you trusted Christ, you're brand new. Now, does that mean you'll be perfect? No, not till heaven. But it means you're going to be seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness so he can add all things onto you. Amen? It needs to be a reality of a new and a changed life and the work of the Holy Spirit in that life. Otherwise, the sorcerers, the immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, those who love and practice lying, they're not going to be in the gates. They're not going to be in heaven. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches, for I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. Now, do you see the deity and the humanity of Christ there again? It says that he is the root of David. What does that mean? He is the creator of David, Jesus. He created David because in the beginning, 
The Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was a part of the creation. Nothing came into being apart from the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit creating. He is the root of David, but he's also the offspring of David because he's fully man, too, and he's a descendant of David. But he's also, interesting, the bright morning star. What does that mean? Well, if you're an early riser, you know what the bright morning star is, right? It's just the darkness is starting to flee away, and the sun's starting to come up, and there's one more bright star up there. What's that a precursor of? A new day, right? And so what's Jesus? He's the bright morning star. He's saying, hey, there's a new day coming. And the day is going to come quickly. And the day is going to come when I'm going to come back. And I will set up my kingdom here on earth. And I shall reign with my people forever and ever. Amen. I'm looking forward to that day. Because he's going to make everything right. He's going to fix everything. Jesus is going to be the ultimate fixer-upper when he comes back to earth. He's going to set up his kingdom here. We learned that, right? And that's one of the things I love about the book of Revelation. It gives us such hope that this isn't the way it's going to be for the rest of eternity. We've seen, first of all, we've seen back in chapters 4 and 5 that after the church age, we're going to be raptured, bam, out of here. And then we're going to see, yes, there's going to be a great tribulation for seven years, but at the end of the seven years, we've seen in Revelation 19, Jesus is coming back on a white horse, and he's going to set up his kingdom here for how long? Revelation 20, a thousand years. And then at the end of the thousand years, there's going to be a great white throne of judgment. And, and Satan himself is going to be thrown in the lake of fire. And then Jesus, we're seeing these last two chapters, is going to, is going to redo everything. He's going, to, he's going to do a redo, a new heaven and a new earth. And that's why he's the bright morning star. He's the precursor to the new day that's coming. And then it says in verse 17, and the spirit and the bride, what do they say? What do they say? Come. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say what? Come. And let the one who is thirsty say what? And let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost. Now, there's two different sides of this verse. The first side is it's saying that the spirit of God and the, and the bride, and who's the bride? It's the church. It's us. And the Spirit and the church is saying to Jesus Christ right now, Come! That's one of the phrases used uh, with the New Testament Christians, Maranatha. Literally, Maranatha translated as, Lord, come quickly! And we're saying that right now, aren't we? The weirder the world gets, and the more crazy it gets, and the more chaos, and the more pandemic and all this stuff. I don't know about you, but I'm saying with the bride of Christ, come, come Lord Jesus, come quickly, right? But it's not only, it's not only the bride, the church saying, Jesus, come, but the Spirit is saying it too. The Spirit and the bride is saying to Jesus, come, let's get this, let's get her done, right? But then also, twofold of this, it says the Spirit and the bride are also saying to the one who is thirsty, come. That's our job, church. Our job is to be going out to the highways and the hedges and telling people that are, that are thirsty, there's one that could quench the thirst of your soul. His name is Jesus. And this Jesus says, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And our job as a church is to say along with the Holy Spirit to a world that's thirsty, there's one that could solve the thirst of your soul. And there's only one. There's nothing else in this world that will quench the parched soul that you have. The only one that can do it is Jesus. 
And so we say to this world around us, come, come on, man, what are you waiting for? Come. And that's our job. We're to be ambassadors for Christ. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching and reserve all their commandments. And, and Jesus promised, and lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. We need to get her done. It's our job to say to a world that's thirsty, come, come to Jesus. Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. You know, we're, we're, this, with this Easter services, the three services we're doing, Easter, sunrise, 9 o'clock, 11 o'clock, Easter is the one time of the year. Church, listen to me. This is the one time of the year that people are looking for a church to go to. People are looking for an opportunity to go somewhere for Easter Sunday, especially with all the churches that are still closed down. Let's use this time to say to a world that's thirsty, hey, hey, come on, come, come. Free Dunkin' Donuts, coffee and, and, and coffee and uh, donuts, come. And you know what? We're going to help you with that a little bit because we're going to send a whole bunch of paid out there. We're fishers of men, right? We're going to send out postcards to the whole community of the week before Easter that is inviting them to come to these Easter services. Well, I think we're only a few, about 50,000 postcards are going to go out to all of Leesville and all of Gilbert and all of Lexington. But, but you know what? You know what's going to be more effective than those postcards? is you guys being ambassadors for Christ. Because people will accept an invitation from you quicker than they'll accept a postcard. So let's do it. The Spirit and the Bride say what? Come, come on, come on. If you're thirsty, come to Jesus. Remember what Andrew did for his brother Peter? Come and see. And then Peter became the rock, and he became the one that preached the gospel on Pentecost, uh, uh, Pentecost the beginning of the, the church, and 3,000 people got saved and baptized because his brother Andrew said, come, come and see, Peter. Verse 18, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God shall add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. Now this is interesting because what it's saying there is, John, don't mess with this book. (laughs) What he's he's saying there is, is this, don't take away from this book and don't add to this book. And that's not just for the book of Revelation. That's for the entire word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God. Another version says, God breathed. is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped in every good work. And listen, we, I love Calvary Chapel. One of the reasons I'm a Calvary Chapel pastor is because we don't mess with the book. We make it an emphasis. We are going to teach you the entire counsel of God. We're going to do like Paul said to the uh, Ephesian elders. We're not going to shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. You're not going to just get hot fudge Sundays here. You're going to get the whole counsel of God. You're going to get some Brussels sprouts. Oh, I hate Brussels sprouts. But anyways, you're going to get everything. You're going to get the hard stuff. You're going to get the book of Revelation where we spent weeks in the great tribulation in the judgment seat of uh, the great white throne of judgment. Why? Because we want to tell you the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help us what? God, we want to give you everything. We don't want to add and we don't want to take away. And there's a lot of groups out there that are adding and taking away. I remember watching a commercial several years ago. I had to turn the channel on the TV because it was the Mormon church advertising. You've read this book. And then they put a picture up of the Book of Mormon. Now read the other book. 
And I turn the channel and it says, I don't want to read the other book. I want to stick with this book. Amen? And we got to stick with it. We don't want to add anything. This is, this is the only thing that is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness. It is inspired by God. We're sticking with the book. But also, we don't want to take away from this book. How do you take away from this book? Progressive Christianity. And it's starting to come into even Bible, supposedly Bible-believing churches are starting to try to be you know, more progressive. So let's be progressive. And let's, let's say, yeah, the Bible says that, but is it really wrong to do that? Oh, the Bible says th- this is wrong and this is right, but let's, let's just, you know, we're living in a different culture, and let's try to be a little bit more politically correct. Let's kind of go with the culture rather than with the Word of God. And no, 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 that's taking away from this book. And I don't know about you, I don't want to do either. I want to stick with what the book says. Because this is my authority here, not our culture. I don't want to live by what the world says. I want to live by, by what the Word says. The Bible says don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That's what this word is. We're not going to add to it, not going to take away from it. Amen? And as long as this bald preacher up here or our other bald preachers up here, we're going to stick with the book, okay? We're going to stick with what the word of God says. We're not going to add to it, we're not going to take, and we're going to give you verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the entire word of God because we don't want to add to it, we don't want to take away from it. Can I get an amen on that? Let's stick with the book. Verse 20, and he who testifies to these things says, yes, yes, I'm coming quickly, amen. And the church says, what does the church say? Come, Lord Jesus, and look at the last verse of the entire Bible here. I love it. What's the last verse of the entire Bible say? The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And the church says, amen. Isn't that what it's all about, church? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about what we do. It's what Jesus has done. And the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. And notice, it's got a little southern twang there. Be with you what? Y'all. The grace of the Lord Jesus Be with y'all. And hey, if you're here this morning and you don't have God's grace, you don't have an assurance that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven. You don't know that there's for sure been a time where you, like I talked about earlier, where you really surrender your life to Christ and you're living for him. Yeah, you've gone to church. Maybe you've gone here for years, but, but you don't know that you know that you know that you're right with God and that you've opened your heart fully to Jesus as Savior and Lord. Make today be your day. I'll give you an opportunity. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm, not, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand so I can pray for you while you're in your seat. Do that today if you need to. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. The Bible says now is the acceptable time. We just studied that in men's breakfast. Now is the acceptable time to get right with God. Don't put it off. We want you to get right so you don't get left. That's what we've studied here. If you're not right with God, you're going to be in this mess of the great tribulation. I don't want you to be there. I want, I want you to be flying up to heaven with me during the rapture and say, hey, come on. If you need to do that this morning, do it. The Lord loves you. Man, he loves you. He proved his love. But God demonstrated his own love for you that while we were yet sinners, while you were a sinner, while I was a sinner, Christ died for us. Amen? 
All right, let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word, God. Thank you that your word has taught us so much in the last 22 weeks of the book of Revelation. Wow, it's been a great, great journey through the book of Revelation. Thank you for that, Lord. And Lord, I pray now that we would be people that don't seal up the words of this book, but we openly share with everybody who can of the truths that we've been learning in this book. There's so much in this book that's taught us about even the future that's coming. It's taught us about the rapture. It's taught us about the great tribulation. It's taught us about this world leader that's coming, this antichrist. It's taught us about the, the, the second coming of Christ. It's taught us about the millennial kingdom that's coming as, as you set up your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. It's taught us about the great white of judgment and the judgment that's coming, even to Satan being thrown in the lake of fire. It's taught us about the, the new heaven and the new earth. We thank you, Lord, so much for all you've taught us in the last 22 weeks, Lord. Help us to be people that not only read and hear the words of this book, but we heed it, Lord. Help us to be people that are not half-hearted Christians, but have an urgency to live for you and for Christ and to share that with as many people as possible because we're coming close in the imminent return of Christ. Lord, set us on fire, Lord, to be a church that's not lukewarm, but hot on fire for you, God. And Father, I pray for anybody that might be here this morning that needs to get right with you, God. You're knocking on the door of their heart, and you want to just come into their heart, and you want to forgive them. You want to do what you did for me almost 42 years ago when you just came into my heart and changed my life. I pray for anybody that needs to be here this morning. Christians be praying too. If you're here this morning, I'm praying for you right now that you just open your heart to Jesus. And if you need to do that, if you need to just receive Christ, the Bible says, but as many as received him, he gives the right to become children of God. If you need to receive Christ this morning, I want you just to lift your hand right now and say, Pastor John, pray for me that I might receive Christ this Sunday as we finish the book of Revelation. If you're here this morning, he's knocking on your heart and you just want me to pray for you. Raise your hand right now and I'll pray for you right now. Praise the Lord right here in the front. Keep the hand up. I'll pray for you in just a second. Anybody else? If you need to receive Christ this morning, don't put it off. Jesus loves you, man. He died for you. Just raise your hand right now, and I'll, I'll pray for you. If you need to surrender to Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, raise your hand right now. He died for you. You can raise your hand and pray if you need to this morning. Anybody else this morning that needs to do that? I'm going to pray in just one second. Come on now. Anybody else? He's knocking. Don't, don't, there's only a doorknob on the inside. He's got to open it up. Anybody else this morning? Praise the Lord right here in the middle. Keep your hand up and I'll pray for you in just a second. Praise the Lord. Great decision. Anybody else this morning? Okay, for those that raise their hand, these, uh, over here in the middle, uh, I'm going to pray for you right now. Just stand up right now. Don't be afraid to stand for Jesus. He died for you. Stand up right now, and I'll pray for you. Just pray this prayer out loud right now. Lord Jesus, church, you can pray with them. Just pray it out loud. Lord Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner, and I trust you, Jesus, to be my Savior and to be my Lord. Come into my heart, forgive my sin, and I will live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Let's all stand, church.